Welcome to Season 3 of The Lifestyle Chase, and I'm your host, Chris Little. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. To help this podcast grow, please share it on social media, rate five stars, tell your friends, and check out the past 140 episodes and counting. You can follow me on Instagram at Christian Little and at The Lifestyle Chase. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. All right, so welcome to a special interview. I'm joined by the one and only Kenny Bowler, and he is one of the hosts of the Second Floor Podcast. So I'm a big fan of your work. Um, I just want to give my audience a little introduction to you. So this is going to be mostly posted on social media. Um, we're also going to post it on the Lifestyle Chase as some special additional content. Um, but if you're introducing yourself, how would you introduce yourself at a party? It's a good question, Chris. It's a really good question. First of all, I'd like to thank you for having me on. This is fantastic. I, I love the work that you do. and. Um, I truly believe as, as a health professional yourself, uh, you're definitely, in, in my eyes, one of the pioneers in and around Edmonton who um, is leading from the front. So I, I appreciate you, Chris. On my end, wow, at a party, that, that's a good one. <laughs> it allows it to be a little bit more informal, right? As opposed to feeling like you have the suit and tie on. I, at a party, you know what? I, I just tell people that, you know, without like trying to, like shove my uh, like title of work I do on them. I would just simply try and go off of like who I am as a person. That's something my, my friends and I always have uh, interesting debates about. And I would just simply say, you know, like my name's Kenny and um, I'm an energetic, outgoing, optimistic guy. Um, I, I love fitness. That's, that's something that is a big part of my life. And um, I like to say that I, I, I enjoy sweating every day. Mentally, physically, it's something that allows me to be who I am. And it's uh, something that allows me to have a little bit uh, less of these as I have an imaginary uh, Corona Extra in my hand. So um, yeah, just you know, short and sweet, more so on the personality, more so on the uh, forefront of, of who I am and not what I do. Now, if, if that is of any interest for, for any of your audience members, you know, when it does come to that, that energy and that, that positivity and, and that optimism I bring, um, that's what I shine to light on the podcast, right? So with Second Floor, that is where, Chris, I have um, health-driven conversations with industry professionals to um, pretty much bring to light um, health strategies, um, bring to light tips and tricks on just how to optimize your health physically, spiritually, and mentally. And that's something that we've introduced in season two on top of talking to um, business leaders and entrepreneurs who also share tips and tricks uh, to pretty much optimize their life beyond the nine to five. And other than that, of course, something we both share is I'm a personal trainer and I focus on martial arts and strength and conditioning. I love that intro. You kind of, you took the deep dive to go thorough with like your 
your why as to why you are the way you are, things that you're passionate about. Um, some things that I'm curious about with regards to the podcast is like, what was the light bulb moment for you that made you really want to get the ball rolling? Like I can understand a person being a fan of conversation. I can understand like having heard someone else do it or being a fan of someone else's podcast. But what was the thing that like really sparked the fire for you in uh, wanting to be the one that sort of leads the conversation, wanting to be the interviewer and wanting to put all of that work that it takes to, to being a podcast host. For me, Chris, I genuinely find that I'm a very curious person. So I started recognizing during the time when Omid and I started the podcast, uh, Omid known as Cassius, he he was actually the one who was already starting to get an idea of what podcasting would be like. Myself being very technologically challenged, uh, even to this day, I loved his concept and idea of, of just wanting to start something that's going to be public, that's going to be um, at the attention of our community and anyone who's interested in listening. And this was around the time I graduated uh, university with my commerce degree. And it's funny, I find for me and a lot of commerce students, you get out of that degree in business, you feel like you know everything and you get out into the business world and you're like, I know nothing. Like, the, it's like you barely built a foundation of uh, what you feel like you're capable of, of really specializing in. So that on top of, uh, you know, my curiosity, I wanted to really figure out what is it and how is it that people love what they do for a living? Like there's people out there that wake up before their alarm clock. There's people out there that like are so enthused at the idea of, um, you know, picking up that phone and not feeling like they're forced to make a cold call they don't want to make. So whatever it is to a capacity of what they're doing, and that's that sales background speaking um, in me is, um, I know at the end of the day that no matter what someone does, they're offering a product or service for someone that is potentially an essential need and or it's something that that person needs that day. So when I was thinking with Cassius about the idea of what the merit of our conversation is going to entail, it's going to, at that time initially, going to be very passion focused. So obviously we had to, as you know, with a podcast, there has to be some element of a theme. So what drove us to start with that was I wanted that for myself. You know, I genuinely like questions I ask Chris are questions that I'm curious about. And I had challenges in the beginning of thinking like, you know, who's my audience? Like, what does that person look and feel like? I look in the mirror and I'm like, dude, it, it's you. You know, it's, it's the recent grads, it's the aspiring entrepreneurs, it's the, it's the people who clock out at five o'clock in their job and they still feel hungry. And um, a lot of that, it was, was just certain personas I matched and I recognized that I was on my journey in pursuit to figure out my passion through um, the conversations I had and surrounding myself around people. And what an amazing way to like build a community and, 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 and build connection around um, people who, who you can now say are in your circle. You know, they always say you're a product of your own environment. And I really got to see that through um, in the fruition of Second Floor. 
Well, I mean, that's such a good answer because like, I have to say I've followed your podcast journey probably since the early stages. I know that when I started the lifestyle chase, I started to get curious. I was like, I wonder what other podcasts are out there. And like your guys' show is one of the ones that popped up because it's just like, there's so much crossover. Like Edmonton is a big city, but at the same time, it's a very small city. And so we've interviewed some of the same people. And so like when I interview somebody, I, I, it is my due diligence to listen to the other interviews that they've been on. And then I always understand that I have like room to improve. So I was like, I wonder how they interview people. And it's like, you always learn something from other people's interview styles like you learn to ask better questions. And so as I would listen to episodes of yours, I would be like, oh, he's totally like forging his path towards his passion. And I was like, you know, that's exactly what I do podcasts for. Like I answer my own questions. Like if something is on my mind, then I seek out the person that seems to be figuring it out and I kind of pick their brain and it changes, it changes the, the trajectory of our, our lives. Like it's, it's a huge um, personal development tool to, to interview all these people. And when you speak of like product of who you're surrounded by, I completely agree. Like it's, it's beautiful how we almost like form like a family of sorts and all of these people that have shared their stories with us and impacted our lives in a very real way. Um, and just like that pursuit of passion, which is a great segue for what kind of like inspired me to have this conversation with you today. Um, you're a very passionate person where causes close to your heart can kind of drive you to take action. And what I've watched in your social media as of late is, well, I mean, there was the, uh, you guys did a fundraiser fight earlier, I think, just before lockdown. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> literally right before lockdown. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have to change the date on that one. <laughs> so first of all, um, let's talk more about that fight. Like, what what inspired that? Because those guys, like, was that their first fight ever? Like, yeah, more. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, first of all, just but you know, prior to us getting this conversation, just to recap our. Uh, shared interest in being podcasters. I I love that you mentioned something that uh, really speaks to my heart, Chris, where you say that there's individuals out there that you connect with who are also publicly, vulnerably sharing their journey. That's huge because Cassius and I talk about that. We, we, we used to, at the beginning, be like, man, we're no Joe Rogan. At least when Joe Rogan started, yeah, he was doing his basement and like it was with poor quality editing, but he was somebody. He was a fear factor host. People knew the guy, people knew the name and, and, and so on and so forth, right? And then we were like, you know what? If there's any differentiator, we are gonna be the guys where even if we don't make it, we can go to our grandkids. We could be like, you wanna know what grandpa is like? Go on YouTube. Go check, go, go, go check out who I was and the type of people I surrounded myself around. And uh, it just goes to show, right? Like, you, I love that you said that. It, it, it shows that it, it, it clearly um, shines through where it's like, yeah, like, we're, no, we're nobody, you know? We're, we're, we're a couple of dudes in a city, as you pointed out, of a million people where we're, we're a tiny speck of dust on earth, yet we've already noticed some of the 
incredible changes and some of the um, incredible differences we've made internally and extrinsically. But that's just based off of like putting ourselves out there. And it's why it's funny when people go like, how do I start? What do I start with? Like, I'm so confused. And there's that fear of like not being ready or them feeling like they need to be somebody. No, press record on your iPhone and put it out there. And if anything, it's, it's only gonna get better. So if, if that's anything for your audience there, Chris, is just like when people, if podcasts or no podcasts, when people are fearful of starting something based off of being worried about what others will think, you know, get that out of your head. At the end of the day, you're doing it for yourself. And then that's what we recognize. We're like, you know what? Yeah, it'd be exciting to pop off. The, the opportunities come with that. This is our passion. We love conversating with people. Uh, but the reality is, is we do it for our own interest. These are conversations we would be having anyways, off, off air. And, and that's something that's important to address. So I just wanted to mention that. Totally agree. That's awesome. Now, with Paul Hoti versus Sean Chai, this is, uh, this is something else. <laughs> so one day, my brother and I were just sitting in the kitchen, right? And you know what? One of, uh, Paul being, being one of my uh, clients, and he's somebody who's dedicated a lot of time and energy into kickboxing. He has a kickboxing background. He's trained at Arashi Do for a few years. Um, he's then going into our first lockdown and coming out of it. He did some reflection and he did some thinking and he's like, I wanna get back into this. You know, so he contacted me. We were working like literally sometimes four times a week, right? My most dedicated client, he puts a lot of time and effort into the craft. And then we just started talking about him getting into a competition eventually. So I'm talking with KB and uh, we're just, I don't know that day, we're just laughing, cracking jokes. We're like, man, how funny would it be if like we got like Paul versus one of your clients? And uh, KB also trains others in boxing, Muay Thai and MMA, right? So we have a, a friend of ours, like a brother of ours, Sean Chai. He went to India with us. He's uh, grown up with KB since the high school days. He's been training, not kickboxing, Chris, but boxing. Uh, for quite some time with KB. Just started to dabble with the idea of sparring, you know, just getting with other guys, getting in there, getting comfortable. So we're like, okay, well, how can we make this fair? Do we make it a kickboxing fight? KB's like, no, man, like, Paul's got years on him. Like, it's not fair. And then we're like, okay, well, do we make it a boxing match? And we're like, okay, this, this could work, you know? Paul doesn't have a specific boxing background, but we could train him enough to, to, to feel like he'll be ready. And Sean's been boxing for upwards of over like a year or two with KB, but just doesn't have the sparring match. So like him and I as trainers, we're trying to like figure out the pros, the cons, is this a good match? Is it healthy? And uh, we, we make it happen right away. We talked to both of them that night and they're, they're, they're awesome. These guys right away, no hesitation. They're like, let's do it. So what initially was going to be just the fight, right? We're just gonna make this safe, healthy, we're gonna include all our friends um, who have experience in refing, in coaching, in judging, like we, we had this all set up. And then this happened here with India where farmers over 250 million are protesting for, for their rights. And I just figured that, you know what? There is gonna be some demand for people wanting to watch this fight. Now, last thing I wanna do 
is charge people. You know, regardless, it's going to be free. We're going to put it out there. However, I felt, you know, that that inner marketing strategist in me went, let's tie in a fundraiser with this event. And what originally was going to be dated a time that ended up being in the second lockdown, we had to push it back an entire like week to 10 days. So we quickly attached this fundraiser we made on GoFundMe. Um, that's something that I made just on my own. It picked up speed at about uh, $1,000 the first week, which is awesome. We have a $10,000 goal. All the proceeds are going towards Kalsa Aid. So they're applying um, supplies and food for all the protesters out there who um, can, can be well-fed and they're sleeping on the streets right now. Besides that, when we attach the fundraiser, and this is why I want to mention this, to the fight, we had, Chris, 100, over 100 people on the Zoom call. Each and every single one of them donated and contributed for the event $3,000. So we are now at, at that point, $4,000 towards providing food and supplies for farmers in India. And that's just based off the hype over people wanting to see Paul and Sean Chai scrap in a 10 round expedition boxing match and it was you felt it man like it was like two guys who are fighting for a damn good cause and who want to get some fight experience there there's no bad blood like they've sparred each other before and come into uh encounters through like group training we've done in the past and um at the end of the day man it was i'm so glad knock on wood no one got hurt and it was like a win 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 all around well, I mean, that's awesome. And just to, to understand, like, cause I was looking at it and I was like, these guys, like, they, this, this is new. This is a new experience for them. Um, and I was just like trying to understand like what it would be like to be in that position, like the nerves that you'd have, like building up to that, like everything that you'd be thinking about before the, like this exhibition fight. Um, but to take kind of like a, a sidebar here, um there's gonna be a lot of people that don't know about like what is happening in india um and so for that purpose if you could kind of provide some further insight so people can really understand like what the cause is what it's all about and truly like how this charity will provide like a good um just a good uh beacon of hope i guess just in this trying time when it's just hard to it's hard to understand how there can possibly be positive with with everything going on in the world like with everything that's happened and with uh all of the struggles that that we have like internationally like what i find most interesting is the more conversations you have the more you realize like how much each of us can make an impact and even like this conversation here just by like having the conversation and teaching each other like what what is going on that can provide an impact because like you talked about how you guys set up the fight and all these participants watching on the zoom call like then all of a sudden they were almost like propelled to move the needle like to um change things um so in us having this conversation we're moving the needle again so with that being said um whatever insight that you have that you can like share with me to kind of help me understand more and perhaps my audience as well 
I'm all ears. I'm ready. Absolutely, Chris. Um, yeah, and I really, I really appreciate that about you. And you know, for for, for you to allow me to, um, in a, to a degree, educate others and and create more awareness on what's happening is, um, it, it is certainly a blessing, and it, it also certainly is very serious to to just kind of put ourselves for a sec in, in the shoes of, of farmers in India. And you made a good point with global awareness. This is something that, yes, it really can affect a lot of people internationally. That's uh, those who have, you know, immigrated to Canada, the UK, uh, across the world outside of India, um, who, has, who still have family members in India who are suffering through this. Um, who also still go back to India and ensure that their farmland is well kept and ensure that they potentially um, could, could sell it or could still have it functional while they're away or still there. But most importantly, besides it affecting others internationally, it really is affecting the farmers there right now who are protesting. And I just want to start off by quoting one of the farmers, Chris, just to provide some context and severity around this issue. Um, I was listening to one of the media interviews on YouTube. I believe this one was by Vice. And the interviewer just is going around talking to some of the farmers who have been there for weeks on end, sleeping underneath their trucks at the border of New Delhi where they're, they're demanding a conversation and changes to the three new laws that have been in place that pretty much screw them over and are going to take majority of the small farmers brushed away on the side until big corporate um, giants come in and replace their jobs. Like that, that's spark notes of what's really going on. And we can get in the detail of, of what that looks like. This is what he said. He said, we would rather die by their bullets right here on the border, the government's bullets, law enforcement's bullets, than die a slow death from the repercussions of the laws that have been put in place. Well, when, when I heard that, that gave me goosebumps and if we start off with why this is so like important and, and hits so close to home for me is Chris, my grandparents on both sides of my family are and were farmers. Like that's how we brought our bread home. That's how my parents got to see more of our culture and heritage uh, coming into fruition. I mean, without getting into too much religious or cultural um, indications it's like for us we're, we're we're jut and like being being punjabi from the jut um you know caste is juts are farmers like that that's like that's something we're prideful of you know like that's how we look at you know when we feed others and we talk about um you know langar and open kitchen it's it's come in come all you know, like let, let's feed everyone because we come from a background where every single day we're on our two feet growing our crops and our wheats and our rice and our corn and, and we have the ability to do so where, where we can feed others who want to be fed. Now, the thing is for me, when I thought about this going on in India, I just had to like almost put myself in history and be like, well, 
what if this was happening to my grandparents when they were in India and laws came into place where they potentially are not going to be able to um, continue farming and, and continue to make uh, ends meet the way they've known how to for years. And I recognize that, well, for starters, I probably wouldn't even be alive at all. Um, secondly, I would not have the opportunity of being in Canada. And, and that's why it hits so close to home for so many people internationally, Chris, because from the safe protesting happening around the world and from a lot of Punjabis and Indians being public about this, they recognize like this is a big deal. So with that being said, I mean, that goes to show, well, okay, well, if it's that serious, what changed? And why are farmers out there, you know, 250 million of them across three different borders in Delhi demanding um, answers and change from the government of India? What happened was it's simply, unfortunately, dictatorship of, of how these laws changed. It should not be. Normally, in this case, if India is going to make change laws, they would talk to the cabinet. They would talk amongst the people and be like, okay, should we make this change? Even prior to this, Chris, farmers were already really upset with um, the amount of money they're making, with how much less production they have, with um, just a, a lot of things were going on for them to feel scrutinized. So it's like right now taking a parliamentary democracy and shoving a knife through it. Because the India government decided to, during the lockdown, it was kind of in and around that time, to just sneak these three laws into place. And they felt like no one would notice. Well, farmers did across all of India. And when you look at the farming industry, it takes up roughly about 60% of um, workers in India. So this is a big deal. There, there are several million farmers in India who rely on the agricultural industry to make ends meet. Some of them in certain areas of India make a great amount of money, right? Like they're, they're, they're well off. And majority of others, Chris, the small farmers who are really getting screwed over here, they're only making upwards sometimes of like 20,000 rupees in a year. And, and that is pennies. That is, that is like nothing. So what are these three laws? Okay, I'm just gonna say them. Um, there's going to be a little bit of detail I can share, but I encourage you know, yourself or your audience with the links I'll send you to, to go more in detail with them. Um, you know, I, I, I spent some time in really looking into what's going on and, and that's why I appreciate you reaching out because it allowed me to see more detail. Um, if you want me to go into them now, I know I've been talking for for a while, unless there's anything you want to add. Okay. Share. Awesome. <laughs> so three different laws have been put in place, Chris. Number one is the Farmers Produce Trade and Commerce Act. Okay. So what's happening with this one here is it's completely cutting out the middleman. So the middleman is from something called APMC. So what APMC is, is it's essentially a, a licensed group of people where the middleman can work from APMC 
and be able to go into these areas where farmers are in and provide something called a minimum support price. So that is essentially something where when farmers are growing all of this produce and they now want to be able to sell it off to their given area, if they don't happen to sell those goods, they can rely on the minimum support price. And that's from that licensed middleman who's coming in and being like, listen, we gotta sell these, you gotta, you gotta make sure you make your bread, and, and, and we gotta make sure this goes into the right hands. Here, here's the guaranteed price I will buy it off you for. Okay, perfect, farmer goes, thank you. Don't want these to go to waste. Also wanna make sure that I can take some money home from the work that I put into this. Great exchange. That is something that's a part of the Mundi system. So the Mundi system is, it's essentially, it assumes the contours of a catch-all marketplace where anything is bought and sold. Through this first act, it is very unclear of knowing if the minimum support price is still going to exist. The reality is it's not. It's going to eventually be diminished. And through the other acts, here's the reason why. I do wanna say that APMC, by the way, means Agricultural Produce Marketing Committee. That is where there's the licensed middlemen working under that position to go out into these sectors of farmlands and farmers and, and provide that safe exchange. Now, with act number two, here's what's going on. Act number two, this new law, is Farmers Agreement on Price Assurance and Farmer Services Act. So what is happening with this is farmers want the minimum support price for the private deals. Now they're not getting that anymore. So what's happening with this is essentially, from my understanding, when they are going to be competing against larger corporate players now who now have the ability to come in and, and, and buy off their land, to come in and be able to pretty much sell crops and, and be against farmers, they're eventually not gonna be able to compete with these big players. This is like, Chris, let's say from your rural area where you're, where you're from with your family, let's just say already there's less technology, there's less infrastructure, but Amazon just so happens to decide to open up shop right there. Well, now with the small-time business owners in the area, they're worried. They're rightfully worried because now that Amazon set up a headquarters with all the goods and the nicks and the knacks and certain things that are flashier and, and they've got all the money and the lawyers to be able to compete with all the small players, small players are left to dry now. You know, that, that individual who's been working for 20 years in that shop that sells, let's say, gym equipment, now, now another person will be like, oh, well, I'll just get it from Amazon. They'll ship it over in my place or I'll go in and it's just an easier service. Things work out better because of the experience. That person running for 20 years now, they're, 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 they're done. They're, they're, they're now pushed away on the side. That's essentially how I look at it, where these small farmers are now recognizing. They're like, well, even if I try and go to court with these big players, I don't have a lawyer. I don't have the money. And even if I do, I'm going to spend all this money and time into something that I know I'm not gonna win. So through this act, they've actually found a way to not go to the central government, which is pretty much their federal government, and, 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 and dispute this case. 
So the government's pretty much being like, ah, oh, you guys just kind of figured out on your own in your own uh, uh, place of land where this is happening. Now, the, the, the third law here is a very important one because it talks about space, is the Essential Commodities Act. So what this one is, is it essentially is cutting out the middleman and it's also allowing individuals, it's from this act or one of the ones I mentioned, to be able to sell your produce outside of your state, outside of your area. And that's the thing, Chris, I wanna be very clear here, even when I read these laws first, it sounds like it makes sense. It sounds like, oh, we're going into a free market where you're going to be able to sell your goods anywhere. Okay, well, for a big company, a big grocery store, it's as easy as hauling their big truck, finding their, their, their inventory manager, storing all of their goods and being like, all right, guys, go. Sell here, sell there, let's make this happen. Let's open up stores, let's go big. Well, now a small farmer who could barely afford a tractor is now being told, oh, don't worry. I mean, now we're gonna, we're gonna let you sell your goods anywhere and everywhere. Well, with what? They, they don't have the big truck. They don't have the utilities or, or the, the capability of being able to store all of their goods that's just gonna go to waste the next day to try and find who's gonna buy them. And this is now with no middleman. Sorry, middleman's gone. This is now with competing big corporate giant grocery stores in and around areas where now the farmers left to realize that every single one of them protesting, they're like, we're, these laws are eventually, not right away, but very slowly going to push us, push, push us right off to the side where we're now incapable of being able to do what we've known as a living for years, for generations, you know? And that, that is sort of in a nutshell what's going on. And, and let's just be clear here, Chris, and, and, and I know we said this off air, I'm no expert as far as like everything that's going on. And, and I did spend some time in, in really figuring out what's happening and, and, and giving you the spark notes. There is so much more to this than meets the eye and there, there, there's so much going on there where um, I encourage others who you know, have any loved ones or, or have an interest in like hearing about what's going on with farmers to so just even take 30 minutes out of your day to just see what's going on. And, you know, I spent the three hours and I spend on a daily basis just seeing, you know, some of the things because it's a wake up call. You kind of realize how much more privileged you are here when you hear that your ancestors and like my uncle's a farmer right now in India. And I know this like this hits home. This this takes people's livelihood from a place of okay, we're doing what we're doing. It already sucks. They already had certain things they had to deal with to now we potentially probably can't feed our kids. And that's based off of these big companies coming in, taking over some of their land. They're more knowledgeable. They have more education. Yet farmers, on the other hand, due to less infrastructure, less technology, um, and eventually not much hope left, they're left on the wayside. Well, I mean, that was really powerful. And I think I don't have to think too hard to find where a person would find value in like looking into this. And especially with the example you made with Amazon, because we can make that example in just about any 
area of Canada and I'll expand on it a bit further. So like right now at the point of this recording, we're in our lockdown in Alberta. And when I think about like the farmers, I bring it back to Canada and I'm thinking about, okay, like let's think about the essential businesses that we have and what's open, like what's allowed to be open and what has seen record profits this year and what has gone out of business because truth be told there are independent grocery stores that are not seeing record profits and so i think to be informed and to have these conversations and to to get people inspiring the the need and desire to ask better questions and to research and to learn and to have conversations and to kind of like put yourself in the shoes of other people because i think whether it be we talked about how having these conversations make us like help us to grow as people make us better people but it also prepares us for the life ahead of us like the year that we've had both of us being in the fitness industry how it's kind of kicked our ass and kind of challenged us tested us in many many ways I always uh, bring it back to the fact that like, this is not the first time that these challenges are going to face us. Like we're probably going to encounter these um, separately spread out over the course of five years, maybe not in just one year, but we're going to encounter like business struggle. We're going to encounter times when we need to be the leader that we want to see, or when we need to have conversations to get past our obstacles. And when we need to have our circle, like I'm a big promoter of like having a diverse selection of people in your circle, like in the conversations that you have, have conversations with people that you totally relate to on every single level. Like you and I, we relate on a fitness level, but when we're able to find ways to connect in things that make us different, then we're moving forward. We're moving ahead and we're learning to grow and it's going to make us more resilient for that reason. And so I'm so grateful that you're able to kind of give me this insight because I had an understanding, but I have a much greater understanding now. And like, I'm able to connect it to things that are relevant to my life. Like I'm able to connect it to the fact that like there, there is a lot that we think is normal. And then it's like, the more we understand, the more we realize, well, it's important to be a well-informed individual. And it's important to um, always sharpen your pencil in life kind of thing. Like always uh learn more and always like ask the question of like am i getting all the opportunities that i should um are things fair all these different things are like i'm not i'm not one to be skeptical of all things but i am one to be someone that's like how much more can i learn in this area like kind of like getting out of your echo chamber like we know what our normal is but then it's always good to find new sources to be like, okay, now I have a greater depth of understanding or, okay, now my lens is a lot wider because if we're only focused on the things that are like within our day to day, then we're missing out on so much like opportunities for growth opportunities to get a more fulfilling life. Like I found you talked about, uh, the circle of influence again. And I found like my quality of life has improved based on the people that have been introduced to me through being a podcast host and through being a trainer. And the more I understand about those people and what makes them tick and like what impacts their life and like what their aunts and uncles do, what their parents do, like the more I really 
lean into that, the more fulfilled I feel. And so I'm hoping that this conversation of ours kind of reminds people that no matter what's going on in the world, I think it's an important habit to take the time to lean into other people's experiences and to ask more questions, to get a greater understanding, not only to support your fellow human, to support people through what they're going through. Like if something is affecting you and I'm like, hey man, I support you. Well, if something affects you, then it needs to affect me as well or else my words are empty. And like me saying I support you, well, I'm not, I'm not supporting you unless I'm taking the time to like understand like what is it that hits close to home for you? Because if it hits close to home for you, it should hit close to home for me because like we are living in the same city. We're in the same industry. We have a lot of common interests. We're both passionate about conversation. That's more connecting pieces than a lot of people have. So yeah, to like tie that up, like, thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to give me insights and to share a bit of your story, your story. Yeah, no, no problem at all, Chris. I, I thank you for allowing, you know, myself to, to, to bring this to light and, and even to, to just bring it to, to, a, to a bigger audience and bring it to yours. I mean, everything that you said as you were talking there reminded me of when everything was going on with the Black Lives Matter movement that we recently just experienced. You got to have two things happen in that case where it's like similar to what we're dealing with in our community is for someone just watching, you almost want to get a little uncomfortable because you're going to have questions and you're going to have things come up and get brought to your attention that you, you're not really too sure why is happening. So that's where you do something like yourself, where get and shift that feeling of uncomfortable, uncomfortability to comfortable, where you're now shaping your worldview by talking to someone who's living and breathing it, or at least knows what's going on. There's a gentleman, I forget his name, but I highly recommend others who want to learn more about the Black Lives Matter movement to this day where he started a YouTube channel called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. And he brought on regular goers, people with families, people you never even heard of. They're not famous for any reason. People like that all the way to Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> and he primed them and got them prepared to be like, listen, ask me anything. Like, ask me any questions you have about um, you know, people like me, the black community, Black Lives Matter, let's talk about it. And oh, even just listening to that, it was like, it was so powerful because it goes to show that as human beings, let's, let's face it, we're all not know-it-alls and we all can only consume and gravitate towards certain content. And when certain things get brought to our attention, one of two things happen. We go one, oh, I'm so sorry for them, that sucks. And we go about our lives and we forget about it. Or we go, no, you know what, damn. What's really going on? You take the Chris Little approach. You go, I'm gonna put this person on my podcast and let's talk about it. And you're, you're, you're not only giving that chance for you to learn, but you're also getting others to listen in. And that's very beautiful that, that, that you're a part of that process and you think the same way, man. 
Well, yeah, and I've definitely watched those videos, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, and it was like, the way I see that is it's kind of like like a proxy into that discovery process. Like, you and I only have so much time where we can do the interviewing. So when we're able to seek out the resources where somebody else has done the interviewing, like, that's a big part Mm -hmm. to why I listen to your podcast. Like, I haven't listened to every episode, but I've definitely listened to more than 30 and it's that's awesome it helps me learn like it's like it's like you guys are doing the groundwork for me and i'm totally invested i'm like they're gonna help me learn like that's it's awesome. not always the same questions that i would ask but it's totally like supporting my personal growth and yeah. i know that i'm sure there's people who like seek out all kinds of different podcasts but i just for me it's just so much more fun to do that with like uh hosts that i know that i'm gonna meet people that i'm sure i'm gonna collaborate with like i'm always thinking of like imagine what if we just got together and just did like a collaborative effort like someone that each of us have interviewed and then we just circle back and we both interview them at the same time yeah maybe that's wishful thinking but it's just like it's an idea that has been on my mind and like now that i've got it out in in the open perhaps we'll we'll follow through with that one day with that one day yeah no absolutely man i i'm really glad you said that and i i want to be clear in saying this where I've, i've shifted my mindset recently and just even through conversations i've had where you know collaboration over competition right i mean what if one day samsung and apple teamed up and made a phone wouldn't that be the next go-to phone that can make you fly or the next go-to phone that offers um you know next level capabilities and you know i i find we get a little uh concerned with the idea of looking at others like oh no they're our competition it's like well no they're 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 in the same space as us wanting the same thing for their audience. And um, no, I agree with you, man. I, I think that'd be, that'd be a pretty cool idea that off air we could talk about. And in reality, when you have the opportunity to listen to others in the same space as you, yeah, to your point, you learn, you learn a thing or two, right? You, you pick apart other things like interview styles and you, know, you, you look at you know, where they're mapping out the conversation. And that, that, that goes without saying, man. Like I remember, you said earlier how like you will look into if there are any previous interviews of a guest and you want to see um, what that was like. I've started to dabble with the same idea where sometimes I'm like, okay, maybe I'll listen to a little bit because a part of me wants to continue that conversation and extend it with certain questions that maybe that other interviewer didn't ask. Uh, But on the other end, it's like, sometimes I'm like, well, I'm not going to because I want, I want everything to come out as a surprise, you know, like I want to actually genuinely be like um, surprised at what I'm hearing. I, I don't want it to already know it. It's like you're excited about a movie. Don't watch the trailer. Don't watch it. You know, just, just go watch the movie. The movie's going to turn out better without any spoilers. So I'm to be honest, I still dabble with the idea sometimes depending on the guest and depending on uh, the, the content with like. Do I go all the way in? But I do see the value in watching a little bit because there's certain conversational pieces that you could extend. And it shows you did your homework. You know, it shows that you genuinely are uh, curious to see what else was said about the person. 
Well, I mean, you made me think of a good analogy and I'm a person that uses a lot of analogies. So I, I look at it this way. The, the more we are open to like collaborative effort and the more we're open to like widening our lens and getting out of our bias and all that stuff, it's kind of like running around the world collecting hugs. A lot of people like hugs and the more hugs, you yeah. get, the better you feel. And totally. not every hug is going to generate income. Not every hug is going to make a bigger house, but you're going to feel better and life is short. And so if you're going to do something, you might as well collect things that make you feel good. And that's, I guess, my outlook on life. It's just like, that's why I am the way I am. That's why I do the heartfelt post sometimes. And, and that's why we're having our conversation today. Cause like the way I see it, when, when we're combining forces, combining efforts and just like letting our brain waves go back and forth, that is like a warm hug in the most bro way that I can think of. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I'm, I'm setting my virtual hug uh, vibes your way right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. It feels good, man. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I agree, man. I mean, yeah, you're talking to a social butterfly who craves human connection, man, and uh, who, who is always trying to uh, find ways to connect and conversate with people, even given our circumstances here in, uh, in, the, in our pandemic and our lockdown situation. But luckily, man, right? Like, fortunately, again, optimistically, let's look at it this way we have laptops we have google meets we have zoom we have ways where um we can still connect with others and, and that's just a, again a little bit of a reminder to recognize that not everyone has that and and not everyone um you know even has a, a healthy roof over their head and what i mean by healthy is like a good amount of space in your home or just an area in which you're living in where you feel like you can be secluded in that space for so long. And again, that's like the untold truths of what's going on. For some people, they don't feel like they have a home. They have a house. They have a bed to sleep in and, 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 and their house is the last place they want to be. And just again, recognizing that, right? I know we talked earlier on air where, before we went on air, where it's like, there's some people in this situation, man, who like, yeah, they live alone. And I have a special place in my heart for those people because the reality is it just sucks more in a lockdown when you live by yourself because you, you have less ability now to see more people in person, you know? And, and that's something, it's crazy as we see it with what's happening in the world. We're willing to risk our lives for the sake of human connection. But it just goes to show as human beings, we operate that way, you know? We get ideas that way. We, we sit down with others, similar to your point here. I had a, someone I respect a lot in the community say this. They were saying that, you know, the reality is with virtual meetings, it's almost like they're shorter, right? They're more like, hey guys, we're gonna hit this and this and this, let's get it done, and away we go. But when you talk about idea generation, you know, there's something about meeting someone for coffee. There's something about, hey, you know what? meeting will be an hour we might be done in 20 minutes but let's let's say the hour let's let, let, let's explore and ideas come into play right like even through this conversation like a potential collab you know things that have come to mind the, the black lives matter movement certain things that just through talking about it we find ways to relate to other things and and beautiful ideas can come into fruition so you know whether it's on zoom or in person man that the biggest thing i encourage others to do is connect with people right Go, go on it, go on Instagram, reach out to someone, be like, hey, let's, let's have a conversation about this. Now, that's my intention. At least go in with an intention. 
you know, the, otherwise people are going to be like, why, what are you doing? What do you want to talk about? Because uh, let's face it, a lot of people want to be curious to see why you're meeting with them. And if you at least set the pace with an intention, man, like I said, every human being, I feel like you'd be a liar if you say you don't want to connect or at least, um, you know, talk about something that both you and a person can mutually um, understand and benefit from. Absolutely. And with that, I will draw our conversation today to a close. Do you have any parting words for my audience? Totally, man. I mean, I, I feel like, Chris, if I could just leave it on this note as far as like, if anyone who listened to this, you know, got any sort of like, you could say, like if it hit close to home for anyone, or if you feel like you want to make any sort of impact or difference for farmers in India, um, I just want to let everyone know that the, the fundraiser is still running. Uh, we have a goal of uh, $10,000 on my GoFundMe. Um, someone whom I'm running with, uh, Sunny Brar, also started a 10,000 uh, goal for Run for Farmers. So I'd love to share you my link. And if anyone's interested in donating a dollar, donating any amount, this is going to be going towards Kalsa Aid. They're a non-for-profit organization where they're a big part in allowing 250 million plus farmers in India on the border right now to protest, to peacefully protest and i want to be i want to i want to say that with um with clarity you know like these farmers have no intention of causing violence and the sad reality is as you know chris as we've seen through blm movements and everything else they're getting wrongfully accused of being terrorists you know like the media in india are claiming uh words like that and it's harsh you know these are just farmers out there fighting for their rights to continue doing what they want to do to, to to make ends meet and they're peacefully protesting out there where Kalsa aid is allowing them to to be fed with supplies and food so they could still be out there peacefully protesting and many of them have said that they are not leaving until they get an answer they are even if they die hungry there and 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 the world and others are and 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 cut out the cord and there's nothing to give them. They are not leaving until change happens. And that just goes to show how much heart, um, you know, these farmers have. So right now, in the past two years, farmers um, have died by suicide. 20,000 farmers have. And the main reason of that, because this is an ongoing battle, this is kind of just the cherry on top that has led so many farmers to be like, you know what, F this, we're going. We're going to Delhi and we're demanding change. 20,000 suicides that's roughly surmounting about 36 percent of deaths that's not accounting other deaths that have happened to farmers and that's 36 percent due to killing themselves because they don't know how to make ends meet anymore and they're in serious amount of debt so if there's any difference we can make here across the world it would warm my heart and you would literally be changing people's lives and making a plausible difference and that's just something where chris i want to say it's one thing to just share a post i respect that i think that's awesome but it's a whole other thing to be like okay well what else could i do what, what could a dollar do a dollar could feed four people in india right now so it, it can go a long way you know and other than that i um i really appreciate you man just you know you're, you're the first and only person to to reach out and be like hey let's have a conversation about this i'm curious 
and to do it publicly on air, it, it warms my heart and it shows that uh, you not only care, but you also are genuinely interested in um, hearing people's worldviews and then bringing it back to that just to make the world feel like a, a smaller place than it already is and for us to feel like, you know, we're, we're all human. We're all out here struggling with our own battles and some things get drawn out with, with more attention than other things and this is just something where if we can show people what's going on, um, we, can, we can feel like we're all on the same page and out, out, out there to, to support one another. Absolutely. We got to have each other's back in this crazy world. Totally, man. 100%. And um, for you, my man, I have a question for you. Where is the lifestyle chase headed in five years? Where do you want it to head? Let's manifest this shit right now. <laughs> I love that so like for me, I've got a background with so many different like jobs and like life experiences and stuff. So I, I always take like a realistic, sustainable approach. And one of my most like wholesome goals for myself and for the podcast, and you can like draw that out into like, what would I have to achieve in order to make this happen? But like the goal is, so I've probably interviewed over 150 different people on the show. Some of them I brought back some episodes. I've had more than one people on the show. So that's how the numbers have gotten to be so high. And I think about like how I genuinely feel better, like being in the presence of these people, like having, having these people take up time in my life. Like there's, there's been a lot of like, episodes that have led to friendships or led to like epiphanies that have like changed my career, changed my life. And I want to be in a position where I can visit these people. Like I don't need to visit them in a Lambo. <laughs> I just want to be able to go spend some time with them. Like I've had some of my podcast guests send me home with food for my in-person interviews. I've had That's some awesome. of my podcast guests like send me like a hat or a shirt. And it's not that it's like, I've never set that expectation on people where it's like, Oh, you want to be on my show? You gotta, you gotta pay up. It's, <laughs> yeah. it just makes me feel so like valued, like from a very like personal standpoint, it makes me feel like my conversations matter. And I just want to fill my cup. Like I just want to be able to visit people and from like a business standpoint, that would mean that my audience would have to grow a certain degree. It would mean that maybe I would have to find like, like a partnership that, that funds my podcast. Cause at this point it's, it's self-funded. It's just something I'm passionate about that I want to grow. Um, and it could mean that it just like leads to future opportunities where like I, I talk to a person, they see something in me where they want to afford me the ability to be able to visit people, however that mm -hmm. looks like. But that is it. It's just a very like wholesome goal where I just want to go and work out with people that I've interviewed and like have a meal with them and have them show me around like where they live and teach me what makes them who they are so I can really understand to a greater detail like who I've talked to and like what makes them who they are because i think that makes life so much more enjoyable i love that answer man that's awesome you're you're building a village you know you're 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 building an entire community and and that's that's what it's all about man you you certainly as authentic as you come off on and off air man yeah 
your magnet, you know? And I think that's, that's, that's a beautiful part about uh, why it's so easy for you to do what you do. And, and, and man, to be honest, let's face it, being a podcast host, not everyone can do it, you know? Like, that takes some serious balls to, to be able to just know that at any point in time, someone can ask you something or they could give you an answer you didn't want to hear or you might reach points where it's happened where you're like, okay, where do I take this conversation now? And, uh, you know, just your ability and being able to lead a conversation but then be genuine through the process and, and create the friendships along the way. Um, something I always like to say that I'll say to you, man, and this is something I, I catch myself saying more with um, guests outside of town um, for this reason is I always like to say like you know you, you've got a friend in me you know and for anyone who ever is in Edmonton or is, is ever wanting to come uh, to this area I also encourage them I'm like reach out to me and and then they naturally say the same thing back but um, yeah it, go, it goes to show man I, I, lo I love that and I'm always genuinely curious to kind of see where people are planning or, or, or why or how they're doing things so it's great to get that background knowledge on your end